Welcome back to our week devoted to the packed line defense. Our final guest in this series is Coach Jim Boone, head coach at the University of Arkansas Fort Smith. Coach Boone is a well-known teacher of the pack line defense. I myself have heard him on multiple occasions at various coaching clinics speaking on the subject. He was an easy choice as someone who should join us to answer your questions about the pack. To date, this is our longest episode. There's nothing really quick about this episode of a quick timeout, but I make no apologies for that. Coach Boone was fantastic, and I know you'll enjoy every minute of this episode. If you missed any of our pack line defense podcasts, be sure to go back and download those shows. They'll all be archived on our page on any of the major podcast platforms. Now, here's my conversation with Coach Jim Boone. Today's guest is no stranger to those familiar with the pack line defense. I want to welcome Coach Jim Boone of the University of Arkansas Fort Smith to the podcast. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Tony, thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be here and uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. We're all limited right now in our activities because of this pandemic, and I saw you're using your time to increase your basketball knowledge. What area has been your primary focus? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been through uh, the majority of our game films from this past season. Obviously, we had a a new team uh, that we were developing our defense with. It is a process. It takes time. And just trying to see where uh, where we progress the most at and what are some of the things that we did not do well. So that's been a big part of it. Um, obviously, recruiting never, never stops. And thank goodness for cell phones and the opportunity to connect with people away from the office. You know, I remember back in the day, if you weren't in the office, you weren't getting your job done. Mm-hmm. You know, you had uh, that was about the only way you could call uh, was using your your school phone and uh, your school account to to make calls on to recruits and to coaches. And, you know, obviously now um, that's a lot different. So it gives us the flexibility to be in different venues uh, to do our work. But recruiting has been a big part of it. And then um, I'm also really intrigued. you know, we, we, we're excited about our group that's coming back and we're really looking at um, tweaking uh, some things with our offense. So I've been working on that as well. You just finished that year one there at, at Arkansas Fort Smith and you'd spent seven years back at Delta State and you kind of just talked about this, but how do you feel that it went introducing your system into a, a brand new program for you? Uh, I thought it went really well. We had a great uh, group of returners that were hungry to uh, to improve and to learn and wanted to be coached. And that's a big part of any time that you take over a program. We've been, you know, Tony, I, I've been fortunate. This is the, I believe this is our seventh uh, opportunity to work in a turnaround situation or to take over a new program. And every single, every single one of them is different. You know, you don't know, the issues and the problems really that 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 you're walking into mm-hmm. until you sit behind that desk and roll up your sleeves and get to work. So it's uh, we we've certainly had our challenges here, but I loved our group and some of the young guys that we brought in have been um, have been a total joy to work with. So. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought we progressed well. You know, we we're not where we want to be. 
and not expected to be where we want to be uh, with with a group that was learning how to play the way we wanted to play for the first time. Now, and we had a very unique situation. Um, we inherited some guys that had actually been uh, coached by two different coaches already at uh, at Fort Smith. And so I make the third guy coming in. And in some ways, it was the fourth guy because our athletic director um, kind of took over the guidance of the program last year for a for a period of time. So uh, that that was unique for them, and I, I just appreciate how well how well they did, how well they listened and wanted to improve. As I said before, they were a very coachable group. How long do you feel it takes? to really get a team playing a solid pack line defense? That's a great question. Um, you know, Coach Bennett told me years ago, Coach Dick Bennett, that uh, it really takes about three to four years mm-hmm. to fully ingrain uh, a program that is based upon defense, to fully build a program that's based upon defense. And certainly ours is a program that is and will continue to be built upon our defensive play. Every every decision we make, it's it's one of our anchors. It's uh, it's what we emphasize. Every decision that we make in our program is based upon our defense. <clears throat> Will it make our defense better? And I've had experiences of both. I've had experiences where we went in and we've had a team that was really excelled defensively right off the bat. It, and again, it it's a personnel driven question. If you've got, excuse me, if you've got young men that have had some experience with it in the past, even if it's not with the pack, but have have played a system of man-to-man defense, uh, if you've got young men who are smart and coachable, uh, then you have an opportunity. Obviously, I think to be a pretty good defensive team, uh, much much quicker. Uh, and I've had teams that have been good in the initial year, particularly towards the end of the year. Uh, but I think it takes it takes a little bit of time. There's no doubt about it. And as I mentioned earlier, our team is not where we want to be. And I think the things that we see the, uh, are the most glaring are the things that you have to be the most connected on, uh, like your ball screen defense, your low post defense, those are things to be successful at. Uh, it's a five-man proposition, and it takes time to develop the habits because that's what it really gets down to. It's the habits that you develop, and the only way to develop those habits is through repetition. So it takes time to develop those things and get a team that's really going to be connected. And when you get to that point, you know a great example of that was Coach Tony Bennett's uh, program this year at Virginia and what an unbelievable job they did after losing the personnel that they lost uh, to, to um, graduation in the NBA uh, to, put, to put a really highly successful program on the floor based entirely upon their ability to, to play the pack line defense and play it extremely well. As we go forward here, I do want to focus most of the rest of our time here on those habits and on those details. If there's somebody by chance who's listening to this, though, that was kind of hoping for some more basic information, 
we do have a couple episodes from earlier this week in our pack line defense series that you might be able to find useful for what you're looking for there. Coach, I've tried to organize these as best I can, but it may sound like we're jumping around. So feel free to jump around in your answers as well. I'm sure it'll be a benefit for anything that comes to your mind. So kind of first question here, but if you were to say what's one or two major team or individual skills or concepts required to be an effective pack line defense, what would, what would those be? Well, again, another, another great question. Um, I think from a individual standpoint, obviously having someone that is um, committed to being a very good defensive player and is very coachable, that would be, that would be the most important thing. And I believe that you can teach anyone to play defense uh, if they want to. And we say want to, and you think, well, anybody should want to, but not, not everybody does, you know, um, it's not a priority for them. I think that, uh, from an individual standpoint as well, and the number one thing and the hardest thing there is to do in basketball today is to be able to guard the ball and keep the ball in front. Uh, we do a ton. And when I say a ton, it's something that literally, and, you know, coaches say, well, we do this every day. And, you know, you always question, oh, really, every day. We do something with guarding the basketball. We try to do something with guarding the basketball in each and every practice. Uh, just the habit, and it's amazing to me how, many, how bad habits are in regards to guarding the ball and keeping it in front. Uh, you know, our biggest thing is we want to contain contain the dribble, and force a contested shot. But that's really hard to do. It's hard to get uh, young people to get their hands up. They want to have their hands down by their sides or at their knees, and you just have too much time and distance to cover to get a hand up then and contest, contest the shot. So without question, one of the things that we're trying – very hard to build is is the ability to keep the ball in front and guard the ball. Then I would say from a team perspective, and which also plays off of the individual, is being connected. And the number one thing there is being in your gap, being able to get from on the basketball and guarding the ball to off the basketball as quickly and getting into your gap as possible, and consequently also, conversely, being able to go from being in a gap to being on the ball as quickly as possible. And we're always talking to our guys, you, you've got to be in two places at once. And just it's just a point we're trying to make that you've got to be in the gap, but on that pass, on airtime, closing out to the basketball, uh, with high hands, but in such a way that you're not immediately giving up penetration, that you're keeping the ball in front of you. And when you can get guys to do that, to be able to stay in their gaps and to close out and effectively uh, keep the ball in front of them with high hands, uh, you're well on your way to becoming a pretty good pack line defensive team. Can you talk specifics about how you teach those closeouts? Uh, certainly. Uh, we're a little different than some. Uh, we still teach, and and I love it, two-handed closeouts. Uh, 
for us, the teaching points and the details are 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 the difference makers in terms of our our defense becoming very good. So when we close out, we're going to sprint uh, the first two to three steps, and then we're going to break down into choppy steps with a wide base. We want our tail down. We want our hands up. With our high hands, I want fingers to the ceiling. I want our hands between our shoulders, and I want our elbows bent. We're very adamant about having our elbows bent. And, Tony, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Uh, if they straighten those arms out, then all of a sudden your legs straighten, and when your legs straighten, you you're going to get blown by yeah. on the drive. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and and it's also amazing to me that we'll have some. We'll work on this every. And, and when I say we try to work on guarding the ball every day, we absolutely do something with closeouts every single day. Now, we we preach about closing out hard and short. I believe thoroughly that our high hands affords us that opportunity to close out a little shorter. But you've got to understand who you're guarding. And so we designate, and that's the one thing through scouting that we we really delve into deeply is personnel and what they can do. And so we designate our closeouts, and we've called them by NBA names, a Ray Allen closeout being a dead three, someone who you've got to chase off the arc, a Kobe closeout being somebody who can do both shoot the jump shot but also put it on the floor and drive it, and a Rondo uh, closeout someone that can't shoot it that you want to play the drive. And so you're going to close out hard and very short to them. Um, we want those high hands to stay up there. And we really try to emphasize that to keep your hands high for a thousand and one count. Now the key there is what the uh, recipient of the ball does with the basketball. If they keep the ball high, then we want to keep at least we can release the high hand closeout, but we want to keep a hand above ball. And I think it's imperative to keep a hand above ball. If you do that, it puts you in a position to be better to contest if they go up to shoot the basketball. Now, I we also like to say that there's a there's a pane of glass between you and the ball. And so you don't want to you want to keep your hands on the glass. So when I keep my hand on the ball, it's on that glass window, that glass wall. I don't want to penetrate that wall because now I'm lunging, I'm reaching, which puts me off balance. If the ball comes to the waist or below, we have a term we call jump up, jump back. So if the ball comes to the waist or below, we want to jump back about a half a step so we're in a better position to absorb the dribble or to deflect the pass because obviously if the ball goes to the waist or below, the ball handler is thinking drive or pass. If the ball stays above the waist or high, then we want to keep a little bit closer distance between ourselves and the uh, and the ball. Now, it depends on who you're guarding, and you have to know your strengths as an individual defensive player. Do uh, Am I able to get up into the ball and keep the ball in front of me? And that's great. If you can do that, then you're elite. And I've only had one or two players, two or three players, over the course of the last 10 to 12 years that had the ability to do that. Uh, one of them was Armand Benford that played for us in our last year at Delta State that led us to the conference championship. 
He was an incredible, very skilled, excellent footwork uh, defensive guard that had size and length and could really keep the ball in front of him, even if he was up in your grill guarding you. But if you're a slower player, then you can't, you're not as quick as the person that you're guarding. You're not going to be able to do that. So you're going to have to give a little bit of space. And space is key. You know, your two best friends in guarding the basketball are space and movement. You've got to keep your feet moving, your feet live. If you go up and you plant those feet in concrete, you're going to get beat. We always use the analogy of a tennis player that's getting ready to receive a serve and has to go in either direction to do so. They're not standing there with their feet stationary. They're moving those feet, you know, every so little bit, but they're moving those feet so that whenever it's time to react to where the ball's going, they're much quicker to get there. And so that's also something that we is an important teaching point with us. But getting back to the space, the cushion that we want to have between our defender and the ball, you, you, it's really hard. And again, you must be an elite defender if you're going to be able to get up into the ball and keep the ball in front of you. So you have to know where your ability allows you to guard the basketball in terms of proximity to the ball. It means you may give up some shots that you have a late contest on or that you've got a little bit more distance, but we would rather do that and give up a contested shot than we would anything that's penetrating uh, to the basket or into paint. Do you ever extend against teams that have multiple deep shooters or are you constantly staying in that, in that pack and staying maintaining gap control? You know, that's another great question. And, uh, that's another question that several years ago uh, I asked Coach Bennett about, and he gave me the answer then that no, we do not do that. We stay in our, we stay in the uh, pack, we stay in our, in our gaps, as you said, to maintain gap control. What it really comes down to, Tony, is your closeouts and understanding who you're guarding, so that if I'm guarding a great shooter, I want to close out in such a way that I'm right up under his chin. And I'm forcing him or her to put the ball on the floor. And I'm not allowing them to get that shot off. If I'm playing a driver, then obviously I'm hard and short, very short. Um, There has been an occasion over the years where we've had someone that we wanted to quarter deny. And so we would extend out to guard them. That's got to be a really, um, you know, as I said, we've only done that a couple of times over the last 10 or 12 years. And it's not something I like to do because if you do that, you're losing that gap presence. And in today's game, it is so difficult because teams do a great job of um, spacing you out and to use a dribble drive term, you know, triple gapping your defense where there's, you know, for instance, let's say the ball's at the uh, right high elbow and on the left side of the floor, there's nobody except until the deep corner. So they've got that inside that entire area to drive the basketball. Mm-hmm. So if you take a gap away, you're creating those situations for the offense, and we don't want to do that. I want to talk about the footwork on a skill right before the closeout. So you talked about the importance of going from gap to on the ball. So let's say that um, I'm staying. I'm standing in one slot with the ball, and you're my teammate standing in the other slot. And so there's a gap defender that's guarding you, and I pass to you. 
your defender's first step on that east-west closeout, is it directly to the person receiving the ball, or do you go out to the side or down and up? What does that look like so that when you catch the ball, you don't start to drive to the outside and beat the guy who's trying to guard you? Does that make sense? Well, you, it makes all the sense in the world, and you described it very well. We, um, we're, we're going, we use the terminology, we want to seek leverage. And that meaning that we've got to get lower than the basketball. We've got to go to the side. Um, I think that's the terminology you use. Go to the side uh, on our first step so that when we do close out to the basketball, it's not a direct line close out from our gap position. If it was a direct line close out, for instance, if I was on the wing and you were on the top when you passed me that basketball, and my defender makes a direct line closeout to me, then I've got a great opportunity to to rip or sweep and drive at baseline. Mm-hmm. And part of our premise defensively is no baseline. We do not want to give up the baseline under no circumstances. And so a huge teaching point in our closeout is to seek leverage. In other words, get lower than the basketball so we are not giving up that baseline drive. So let me go another step past that. So let's say that you catch the ball and you <coughs> do start to drive to the outside and there is somebody in the corner, so a strong side shooter, and there's that double gap. Do you give help from the corner or do you give help from the post player? We will, if, if there is a corner, if the corner is occupied, the defender on the corner, uh, offensive player, will be positioned in a gap to prevent that penetration and then close out to the corner. We are not going to stay with corners as some people will. I know that's a great NBA um, theory and philosophy of play by most coaches at that level. You'll hear some of the college commentators talk about that and say, well, you should never give up a corner three. Well, the reason it's that way in the NBA is because the corner three is the shortest three. And so it's shot at a higher percentage. Uh, our three is consistent around the arc. Now that's changing here at Division Two in the coming year. It was a little different at Division One this year, where um, our arc has been extended uh, to about 22 feet. So it will be. Um, we would still maintain that gap and then close out to the corner. Uh, we're not going to leave that gap presence. We're, we do not want a post player to have to leave the post and come out and give help. Uh, we feel first and foremost we're putting our post player in a position to foul, mm-hmm. and that's something we do not want to do. Fouling is is you know something we try to eliminate at all costs. Um, and secondly, it takes one of our primary rebounders away from a rebounding area if he has to leave his postman to come out and give help. Earlier you mentioned pick-and-roll defense, so how would you recommend pick-and-roll on the pack line? Well, I, I, I'm a firm believer in this, Tony, and we've done this. Um, I think we've probably guarded ball screens in any conceivable way you can guard ball screens over the course of, of uh, you know the 34 years that I've been coaching. And it, they can prove to be difficult, uh, particularly when you're guarding teams 
that have five players that can shoot the basketball. Mm-hmm. But what offense is not difficult to defend when you have to guard an offensive team that's got five players that can shoot the basketball? Uh-huh. Right. So with us, uh, what, what I've really tried to lock into, what we've locked into, is we only guard ball screens basically in, in two different ways. Now, we have a way that we guard side ball screens, and that's anything that's on the side of the floor. Uh, and we're going to hard show that. We call it hard show. Some people might say a hard hedge and momentary trap. Mm-hmm. And middle ball screens, that's anything that's in the middle of the floor. And that's a level show for us. Where we're trying to level the, the dribbler off. Now, our secondary method to each one of those would be to switch it. And there are times that switching is necessary. It's not something we like. It's not something that we want to do because part of our defensive philosophy is to be able to maintain the integrity of our matchups. As I, as I alluded to earlier in this conversation, uh, matchups are big for us, and so our guys can understand closeouts. Back in the day, and I really enjoyed playing this way, but there was a reason we played this way. We were more of an on-the-line, up-the-line, deny, fight for every inch of the court, horseshoe baseline, and we switched all like screen. So any guard-to-guard, perimeter-to-perimeter, we switched. Any post-to-post, we switched. And so in, in, in doing that, we were trying to disrupt the offense. Well, now because of the shot clock and because of players' abilities to handle the basketball and be so creative off the dribble, and coupled with the use of the ball screen, uh, dribble penetration is is of paramount importance. And so that has led us really to the pack. But getting back to my initial point, when we switched, I thought it was incredibly difficult in the heat of the moment for players to remember and to really lock into who they were guarding. Maybe I'm defending a guy who's really good off the bounce and he's looking to drive, drive, drive. And so my closeouts are reflective of that. And now all of a sudden I switch onto a player off of a screen that's a great, you know, uh, three point shooter. He's a dead three. He's a deep, he has deep range. So those, the two dynamics in guarding those two different players are entirely different. And in the heat of the battle, I've got to be able to go from one to the other. Uh, I think that's incredibly difficult. So one of the things in the pack that we we really enjoy and we emphasize is, is our closeouts and the ability to guard for us to be able as coaches to put our best guy who guards dribble penetration on your best penetrator, mm-hmm. our best guy who guards the shooter, or a score on your on your score, our best low post defender on your best low post player, and so on and so on. So we don't like to switch, but sometimes, particularly in, in today's game, when you're playing against those teams that have a four-man that is, and I just use that as, as a descriptive mode, a four-man that is an incredible three-point shooter, uh, it may be where we have to switch that screen so that we can take away the shot. Because at the end of the day, it's not the uh, it's not the mismatch that beats you; it's the open shot, and we certainly don't want to give 
up walk-in uncontested threes uh, to a really good shooter. Changing gears just a little bit, but what kind of full-court pressure have you used to complement your pack line? We don't. Hmm. Now, let me bear with me for a second. We don't press. We don't believe in pressing. Um, You know, I think all of us would would enjoy pressing if all – if we were able just to create steals and bad shots off of it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if you're going to press, part of the deal is you're going to give up layups. That's just, you know, that's part of the deal of pressing. Uh, that's one of the consequences that, that you have to understand you're going to give up. And if you're a great pressing team, maybe you don't give up that very often, but you're going to give up layups. Mm-hmm. And that goes against everything we believe in in regards to our defensive approach. And that's just something personally that I can't stand to give up layups uh, to our opponent. So we don't press. However, as we all know, there could be times in the course of a game, end of game, where you've got to do something. Uh, Maybe there's 30 seconds to go in the game and we are down – um, you know, four points. So the team obviously can hold the basketball in that situation. The very first thing we want to try to do is to create a turnover. So if it was like um, after a made free throw, um, after a score, after a timeout, in that scenario, we would set up a uh, chaser trap, a one-two-two, a one-two-one-one, however the alignment would be where we would have someone on the ball and we try to get an initial trap on the inbounds pass and put interceptors in position to get a steal. And then if we don't get a steal in that scenario, we would obviously foul. Um, but as a rule, Tony, we do not press. Someone asked about offense, and so I'll ask this in two parts. I'll let you answer the first one, and then I'll ask the second question. But do you think of your offense as complementing your defense? I guess that is like like tempo wise. Yes, and I think that's really important. Can you can you go outside of the box? Yes, and that's one of the things that um, is the beauty of college basketball right now. And frankly, it's one of the things that worries me about college basketball right now because of the number of people that want us to adopt the NBA game or the international uh, style of play. And the reason I say that, uh, and I don't mean style of play, but rules of play. And the reason I say that is because I think, um, particularly at the NBA level, it's basically a cookie-cutter game. Everybody's the same. Uh, Everybody plays the same. And with a 24-second shot clock and the talent level you have, you you, you pretty much have to. But what do we want to see in NBA basketball? We're really looking to see offensive play. And so all the rules have been geared to create offensive play. I think college basketball, and this is my personal belief, and I'm sure, you know, there are those who are adamantly opposed to that. And I, and I get that, but my personal belief is I love college basketball because rather than being a game of individual offense per se, it's a game of synergy. It's a game of team play. And I love nothing better than watching a great team play, whether it's a, Virginia team or, um, you know, back in the day watching Coach Knight when he had Indiana and Texas Tech. Uh, and, and there's a number of others, Duke. 
Uh, I really loved it when Duke was a screen-and-cut team. And obviously, they've had to change their philosophy a little bit with going to more of the one-and-done type of recruits. Um, Wisconsin, when Coach Bennett coached um, uh, there, that was uh, Bo Ryan, you know, watching his teams play. You know, those were fun teams for me to really watch uh, play our game. Now, uh, with that being said, that the secondary thing I love about college basketball is as a coach, one night I might play a team that really wants to press and run, and that's on Thursday. And now Saturday I have to prepare my team to play against a team that's going to be much more deliberate and maybe play a half-court defense, maybe as an all-zone team. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that about our game because every game is different. Every game you have to adapt and be able to prepare your team to play against a totally different philosophy and style of play. Now, uh, getting back to your question, I do thoroughly believe that how you play offensively will reflect on your defensive play. If you're an up-and-down team that just wants to run and shoot as quickly as possible, then I equate that to the team that uh, football team, use a football analogy, the team that just wants to pass, 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 and, you know, it's three downs and out, three downs and out, three downs and out. And now all of a sudden your defense is totally exhausted and you're not getting the quality of defense that you need to be the team um, to be as successful as you want to be. Whereas if you're a team that runs the ball some and you're grinding it out a little bit, you're forcing that other team's defense to be on the field. And that's what we're trying to do with our offensive play. You know, uh, conversion, we will run on long rebounds. We will run on turnovers. If we don't get one of those things, then we're happy to take our time to get the ball up the court. Once we get it up the court, we are we want to work deep into the shot clock uh, unless something presents itself early in, in the form of a layup or inside score. Uh, the or and, and we will take an open three for the right people, but it's got to be open walk in three. And part of the reason behind that, Tony, is it's very important to us to get fouled. We want to make more free throws than our opponent shoots, and our good teams have been able to come close, if not meet that goal. Um, to do that you can't rely on shooting the ball quickly. If you're shooting the ball quickly, you're not going to get, you're just not going to get fouled. Mm -hmm. So that, that's of paramount importance. But of the, the number one thing for us is to put our, um, <clears throat> to give our defense an opportunity uh, to get off the field some and for our offense to really work that opponent's defense and make them have to guard for elongated possessions. You know, I always use the example, and you mentioned earlier that you heard me speak a couple times, so I'm certain that you've heard this. Uh, one of the questions we ask about, you know, putting together your defense is does it, evaluate, does it allow you to advance in postseason play? And coaches always say, well, postseason play is different. It's more conservative. Uh, teams teams uh, are much more patient. Well, there's a reason for that. And it's simply that who makes it to postseason, the best teams. 
and the best teams do not turn the basketball over, and they work to get great shots. So you better have a defense that is set up to guard for elongated possessions. Now with us, um, again, uh, I, 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 am, I thoroughly believe that your, your offense must complement your defensive play. And, um, you know, if I wanted to be a pressing team, that was up the nine in the half court and trying to create as many steals as possible, then I think running and shooting the ball quickly fits into that. But to be a pack line team, uh, whatever approach you use offensively, I, I feel very strongly that it must be one that is uh, based upon handling the ball, uh, handling the ball successfully and working to get great shots. Have analytics impacted anything that you do <clears throat> offensively? Analytics fits into everything we do as coaches, and it always has. We just didn't know what it was called mm-hmm. 25 years ago. You know, it wasn't called analytics. Um, we're obviously trying to design what we can design to create the best opportunity to to score as efficiently as possible uh, with our personnel. So, you know, if you've got a team that has – really good shooters, then obviously the three-point shot becomes extremely important. If you've got more of an athletic team or a post-oriented team, then getting the ball to the basket becomes of much greater importance. Um, you know, obviously the mid-range shot has went to some degree out of our game, but it's, it is still a shot um, despite analytics that we think is really important. Uh, because it sets up the three-point shot, our ability to shot fake when people run us off or try to run us off the line and pull up and shoot an uncontested two, you know, we would like, we would love to do that. But again, when you, when you talk analytics and you talk, um, you know, uh, points per possession, what is the absolute best shot you can get in the game? It's the free throw. Mm-hmm that's going to yield you the highest point per possession of any other shot you can get followed by dunks and layups followed by open threes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it does. It always has. And, and it always will. I think all good coaches are going to uh, uh, pay attention to the numbers behind the game. Some high school coaches have kind of seemed a little bit hesitant to use the pack because of not having a shot clock do you feel like that's a right view of the pack? I think it's a great question, and we get asked that constantly um, by high school coaches. We've got uh, obviously there are a number of high school coaches that are employing the pack line defense and and doing it very successfully, uh, very successfully. You know, a good friend of mine, Alan Osborne. Uh, I played for Coach Osborne years ago, uh, many years ago. He is a, uh, he's still coaching high school basketball in West Virginia, and his team actually was preparing to play in the regional finals to advance to the state tournament when the, uh, when everything got shut down in, in their state. Uh, but he's played the pack for years, and his team consistently is one of the best defensive teams in the state. Um, and there are a number of other coaches that do a great job with the pack line. The one thing I would say to high school coaches is simply this. If you don't have a shot clock, then you probably want to play an alternate defense. Um, 
so that you have something that you're able to do when uh, your opponent decides they want to hold the basketball on you. Uh, and I think that that alternate defense should be something other than man-to-man. It should be some form of zone, whether it's a 2-3 or 1-2-2 or 1-3-1 trapping scenario to try to create pace or to try to get uh, to get steals uh, when a team may do that to you. Uh, and the reason I think it should be a zone is so that you're teaching something that's totally different than your pack and that you're not teaching a something that is going to teach principles that are diametrically opposed to your pack in a man-to-man format. I saved the most important question here for the end. If you oh, could, wow. If you could only have one, your favorite kind of barbecue sauce, and why? <laughs> uh, that's a great question, too. Um, man, I don't know, because I'm really big. You had an answer for everything ones. that I gave you, and then I gave you one of these. Of the, uh, you're speechless. Yeah, that's a, that's a little tougher, because I like to use a number of different things depending upon what I'm cooking. Like, um, for instance, if... Uh, if it's a if it's a pork butt, I really like the Carolina style barbecue sauce. If it's a if I'm doing um, you know uh, steaks or something, I'm not probably going to use any kind of barbecue sauce. If I'm using chicken, I like something that's a little hot and tangy. So uh, uh, love the uh, I love the Traeger the Traeger brands, but I also venture out into some others. I'll tell you something that's really good too is using some Alabama white sauce on okay. that um, on chicken. That's awesome. So I, I, it's going to change depending upon uh, what we're cooking. Okay. But great question, uh, love it. Okay. Well, I wish we were neighbors. I, I think the talking basketball would be great and all, but man, those pictures that you post on Twitter with that barbecue, man, that is amazing. I I, uh, I think you need to start a barbecue and basketball YouTube channel or something now that you have some extra time well, on your hands. I, I think there's there's really something there. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. But I, I know my day job and the barbecue is just a way to, uh, right now it's kind of been an outlet, you know, here at the, uh, here at home, but it's just a way to, uh, to, to alleviate a little bit of stress and, uh, you know, just, to have fun with our family. So, I, I know my day job. <laughs> <laughs> That's Coach Jim Boone, head coach at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. Coach, it was wonderful to talk with you. Thank you so much for all the great information. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I hope that something that we've said today is useful to, to your listeners. We enjoy talking about uh, basketball first and foremost, but obviously our passion is with our defensive play. And I would say this, Tony, anybody that, uh, would venture to our website at coachjimboone.com. We'll find a lot of information about the pack line defense and coaches notes uh, from other clinics and things of that such. And um, we're here to help coaches in any way we can. Thank you. It's uh, great to share this time with you today. I uh, appreciate you very much. And everybody out there, uh, stay safe. Thanks, Coach. A quick timeout podcast is brought to you by 323 Sports. If you're looking for a team dealer with great prices, top-of-the-line apparel, and second-to-none customer service, then 323 Sports has to be your choice. 323 Sports will do it right for you and your sports program. Visit 323sports.com or contact sales at 323sports.com to get in contact with a team rep today. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. 
It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.